If you would, and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're doing on Sundays, not all the services, but a good part of them, on the subject of being a light for God, for Christ. Ephesians 5, let me read the text for you, but you can hold your finger here, but we're going to start just for a couple minutes. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. And Deuteronomy 34, the last three verses there. But let me get to this text as our main text tonight. Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, or maybe better, approve what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part, don't become partners, fellowshippers, people who work together, connected with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light... It becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then back to Deuteronomy chapter 34, it reads in verse 10, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all of his servants, and to all of his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Maybe because I'm a pastor and I do way more funerals than I do weddings, I've always been intrigued by obituaries and eulogies. Um, those two things are what people, friends and families do to try to summarize the life and the legacy of the deceased loved one that they're celebrating. And can I tell you this? I've heard it. I've seen it. I've done it. It's a daunting task. Uh, it's not very easy whatsoever to summarize someone's entire life in a few paragraphs or a few minutes. Um, if you could choose tonight what your obituary would be like or what it would say, what would you want it to say? And Deuteronomy 34, at least I call it, I call it Moses' obituary. And up until this point, he's been the greatest leader, and, and the Bible says in this passage that he is going to be always the greatest leader Israel has ever had in the Old Covenant economy. Um, by chapter 34, the text I read to you, he has, he has performed miracles that are unbelievable. He has... He, uh, been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. Um, he had lived 40 years in the palace. He has led his people to freedom. He received 10 commandments on Mount Sinai. He's been through 30, 40 years in the wilderness and all of that entailed. I mean, he had a powerful life and a full life, unlike anyone else probably in all the Old Testament. And the Bible says because of that in verse 10 and then once in verse 11, two very similar sounding phrases describing the summary of his life. And it says, there's not been a, a prophet risen like him, not like Moses. And it says in verse 11, none like him. I mean, he was a one-of-a-kind guy. And, and, and so much so, here's what we know him for, verse 
11 and 12. Signs, wonders, mighty powers, and even a phrase we're not commonly associated with, great deeds of terror. I mean, Egyptians and other people were afraid of Moses because of all the things that God did through him. But can I tell you this? Listen to this. And this is the principle I want to bring out from Ephesians 5 tonight. You know what happens in the Bible in his obituary before any of those wonderful things he did? You know what made him unique? Not just the signs and the wonders and the miraculous things he did. Look at the verse again in verse 10. It says that no one was like him because he had a relationship or he knew God face to face. See that? What if your life and mine were, were characterized by the degree to which we knew God instead of the stuff that we did for God? What if that was the most important thing of our lives? In other words, what if our lives were first and foremost about being just as much, if not more, than doing? What if being with God and being like God are, are a prerequisite for doing things for God? What if in missions and evangelism, and we direct this to Juan and Melissa tonight, but to all of us, what if in missions and evangelism, being light is just as important as bringing light to the world? What if holistic evangelism was a combination of both the words of light and our walk in light? What if our light for Jesus in this dark world was meant to be both something that we share and something that we show by the way that we live our lives? And I believe it is. I don't believe it's one or the other. It's not either or. It's simply both and in Scripture. And tonight, although in Missions Month we normally talk about heralding the gospel and giving the gospel verbally because we know that's absolutely crucial, but I think back behind it, supporting it, validating it, is the life of light that we live. And that's what Ephesians 5, if you'll turn back there if you're not there, will teach us tonight in very descriptive detail. And so let me just unpack two. It's like a coin, both sides. And let me tell you how Christians who are light, and we'll see that in the text, how do, how do we relate to darkness as believers? And there's two things, two ways tonight that we need to do that, whether we're being missionaries going to Columbia or whether we are missionaries right here at home. So what are the two ways Christians relate to darkness? Number one, Christians are lights called out of darkness. Look at the text in chapter 5 and verse 7. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time, notice the identity markers, you were darkness. Not that you did dark things, because we're going to talk about works of darkness in a minute. So there are dark things Sinful things that people... No, he's not telling just what you do. He's saying this is who you were. See, it's an identity. This is who you were. And because you were darkness, you did darkness, right? He says that's the identity statement that you were. He says, but that's changed. But now you are light in the Lord. So now your identity was darkness. Now it's light. You used to do dark things because you were dark. And now you should do light things because you are light. He says, so walk as children of light. But our text in verse 7 starts with a little teeny word, therefore. What is the argument he's building this on? Well, therefore, go back to verse 7, and there's another therefore. 
Go back to chapter 5 and verse 1, and there's another therefore, because it goes back further. Back to chapter 4 and verse 25. Your text may not say it in English this way, but it's the same word in Greek. Chapter 4, 25 is the word therefore. Chapter 4 and verse 17 is the word therefore. And what he's building on, all of these arguments, including our text tonight, is when you're a church and you're unified and you're in Jesus, this is how you behave and, and you live as a church, whether it's individually or corporately. Here's what you are to, and a key word here, underline, I'm going to show you how important it is. This is what we are to become. Because we're going to emphasize tonight being, not just doing. Because you have to be a missionary before you can do missionary things, right? So let me show you the word. The word be or become, the Greek word genesthe, is used eight times in Ephesians. Four out of those eight are commands, and all four of those command become words are used in our general text. Let me show them to you, because they build on each other. First one is chapter 4 and verse 32. See it there? Be kind to one another. It's the word become. Keep becoming kind to one another. As a result of learning Christ, 4, 20 and 21, having put off, verse 22, put on, verse 24, having renewed your mind, this is what you become. You become kind, loving. So it has a horizontal. We're becoming something as light horizontally, he says. The second become is the next verse, chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, become imitators of God. Now, the first two of them, or the, these two ones I showed to you tonight, they are positive ones. See, so he, here's what a missionary is. Here's what we are to be. And it's, some of it's positive, kind, loving, forgiving to other people, and we are to be, be more like God. And that's mainly in love, in sacrificial love. That's what he's talking about. But let me tell you, flip it over, because when you are being light, it's more than just the positive things, although that's obviously a big part of it. It's also a negative aspect to it. Look at chapter 5 and verse 7. See our verse? Therefore, do not become. So there's a, don't become partners. So if you're in the light, you're forgiving people, you're loving God, becoming like him, but you're also staying away from people, mainly Christians, who are not living in the light like they ought to. We don't partner up with them. We don't associate with them in the sense that we are close to them and do ministry with them. And then he says in chapter 5 and verse 15, look carefully then how you walk not as wise, but as unwise, down to verse 17, I'm sorry. Therefore, do not become, there it is, foolish. So the two positives are be kind horizontally, love God vertically, don't be like people, don't deal with people or associate with people in the sense of being connected to them horizontally that are in the darkness. And he says, and don't become foolish in how you apply all of that to your life. So, so light and darkness are a huge theme in this section of Ephesians and th really throughout the whole Bible. It also happens to be a big theme in Star Wars. I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan or not, but I joke around in the office when they do things I don't want them to do, or I joke around with them and say, you've turned to the dark side. Try to get my son, Will, to get an iPhone because he's using a non-iPhone, which is on the dark side. And so... but. It's a big theme. And in Star Wars, it's, you're either a Jedi or a Sith. And you know Jedi are the light and Sith are the darkness. And they don't go together. They don't, they're antithetical. They're, it's a dualism. Um, light and darkness don't 
In fact, they war against each other. And you'll find that that's true in Scripture, that light and darkness in Scripture do not go together. And so you get the first, watch, you get the first imperative of the becomes. And then he's gonna, he wants to show you throughout this whole book that when you're a Christian, what you are, your being completely, radically changes. Let me show you a little structure that Paul uses in Ephesians and actually other places. So stick with me because this is going to be a little Bible study in the middle of the sermon tonight. Okay? And the, this construction looks like this. Once, but now. Okay? You, what you were, but what you are. Okay? So but, I mean, not once and but now or but God. Let me show you. Hold your finger here. Turn back one page. Chapter 2 and verse 2. I'm going to read verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you, see it? Underlined it. Once walked. There's our first part of the construction. Once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, second one, whom we all once, see it, lived in the passions of our, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, there it is. But God. See, here's where you were before Christ. You are in the world. You were of the devil. You lived this way. You desired. You thought this way. That's what you once were. But God. See, Christianity, please hear me. You need to have this in your mind and heart. You need to have this in your children. You are not a Christian because when you were some age, you said a prayer and magically now eternity is settled. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is a change not only of your destiny, but of your desires and your deeds. Do you see what he says? There is no mention of hell or heaven in this text. Because what you once were is manifested not just what you will be someday, but what you are right now. So here, you were dead and now you're alive. What does that look like? Well, it looks like you don't do the same thing and you don't desire the same thing anymore. Because you once were that, but God broke into your life and he changed all of that. And the Bible says very carefully, according to his mercy, according to his love, and according to his grace. And it was a gift and you didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. He gave it to you by faith. Whoops. So that's the first one. The first one is once but now. Let me tell you the next one. Chapter 2, same chapter. Just go down one paragraph. And verses 11, 12, and 13. He's going to say it again to them. Therefore, remember that at one time, same word, although it's translated slightly different, you were Gentiles. So you used to be Gentiles in the flesh. Call the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promises, having hope, no hope and without God in the world. What's the next phrase? But now. See, once this, but now. And then he's going to add to it. In Christ, you were once far off because you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were way away from God. And and you were marked off in the temple. Gentiles could only go so close to the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go even as close as women who were Jewish. But you used to be far. He says, this is what you were this. Once this, once this. Look at it. But now, he says, in Christ, you are near. 
So you, here's what you're, you used to be a Gentile, you used to be not in God's people, you used to be way away from God, but now, here's what you are, you are close to God. But then you come to our text, and he wants to tell us again, chapter 5 and verse 8, let's look at it. For at once, one time, once you were darkness, see the, te- the construction again, but now you are light in the Lord. See, you once were this. And now you are this. Yes, you once were going to hell, and now you're going to heaven. But that's, by and large, not how the Bible talks about it, although it does talk that way. What it talks about is what you were, your identity, what you were relationally with God, what you were not, and what you are now, and how that has changed everything in the present, not just the future. Hold your finger here, and I want to show you a couple more, because I want you really to get this. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 9. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Here's our phrase, darkness, light. And he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So again, the, not, no longer darkness, now light. Now notice the construction, same thing. Again, expressing radical change. Verse 10, he says, Once... You were not a people, but now you are God's people. See the difference? Once this, now this. And that's all because you went from darkness to light. And then he says another one. He says, once, verse 10, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, he's saying, he, 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 listen, if you want to be a missionary... You want to be the Christian God wants you to be and be used by him. You've got to come to an understanding of what your salvation means to who you are. Because you cannot do what you should do until you know who you are. Because who you are determines what you do. And if you don't get up every day and realize this is who I am in Christ. I am not this. This is not my identity. It's not my sports. It's not my beauty. It's not my intelligence. It's not my education. It's not where I live and what car I drive or how much money I make. If you don't understand that every day this is you are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. And that dictates everything in your life. Everything you do. What your priorities are. What goes on your calendar. What you say no to. What you say yes to. How you use your money, how you use your time, everything. Who you are determines what you do. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. One more time. There are other ones. I'm just giving you the best ones. Let me start with verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Colossians 3, 5. Sexually, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In, the, in those you two, see it? Once walked. You used to do that because you weren't a Christian. You used to do that verse, when you were living in them. Verse 8, notice it. But now, see, you, you, once you did this, but now, it's totally, now you must put them all away, he says. See, see, over and over, this is Paul's pattern, Peter's pattern. They preach these things. And you know what it is? We are people of light 
who were called out of darkness. What is the Christian's relationship to darkness? We've been called out of it. We're not in it anymore. We don't live in darkness. We don't act in darkness. We don't want darkness. We don't desire darkness. We don't love it. Jesus said there's a big difference when you're a Christian. When you're born again, listen to how Jesus says it. John 3 and verse 19, he says, I did not come to bring judgment into the world, but this is what he says, but this is a reality, that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. You see what he's saying? You know why? He, they don't just do darkness. Listen, when you're, when you're a non-believer, it's not that you just do bad things. It's not a reformation or behavioral modification on the outside. If I could just do light things, God things, I'd be better. No, that wouldn't make you a Christian. You know what he says? Men love darkness. It's right down to the core of your being. When you get saved, it doesn't just change your deeds. It changes your desires. It changes you with what you want, what you love. Please wake up to this reality. Please wake up to this reality. If you come to church and you don't do really bad things, but yet you don't desire the Bible, you don't want to read it that much, you don't want to pray about it, and you really want to do good things, and, and you, you're a young person or a teenager, you have one at home, and they really don't have much interest in God, and you're always pushing them, and they don't want to do it. In fact, sometimes they rebel about it, and they get angry about it. Here's the reality. They don't know him. They don't know him. You've you, you got to come to that reality. You can be religious, but that doesn't make you a Christian. See, here's what he says. They love darkness. Oh, my kid's a good kid. They're just off track right now. Probably not. They're in darkness. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? I think John says it better than I do. Can you look at that passage before we move on to the second point? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Staying with the light darkness. This is going to tell you how you can know that not only you're, you're, you could become a missionary, but you are a Christian. Because you've got to be it first. Verse 1, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, meaning Jesus, that God is light. Listen to this. And in him there is no darkness. So if you have him and you're imitating him, you won't be doing darkness because you're imitating light. A person, obviously in the Trinity, that is all light. If, now, now watch the conditional phrases. If we say with our mouth, we have fellowship with him. Yeah, I come to church. I know Jesus. I prayed the prayer when I was nine. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. No, there's the walk term again, remember? If we walk in darkness, what does it say? We lie and do not practice the truth. The test of whether you're in the light is not whether you say it, but whether you do it, he says. Because being is demonstrated by doing, he says. Again, verse 7, if phrase. But if we walk in the light, on the other hand, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Watch, not just fellowship with him. We have fellowship with one another. Because if you are not being right horizontally you are not being right vertically that's what he says if we we have fellowship and the blood of jesus his son keeps cleansing us from all our sin if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us 
and on down to verse, verse 10, we make him a liar. Now, flip over real quick to chapter 2 and verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because, here's why it's true that you love each other, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. If you are, Christ is shining more and more in your heart and the darkness is less and less in your life, then you will love people. And I'll be blunt, and you won't say the things on Facebook to other Christians about their political positions and all the other stuff that's t- taking place that I unfortunately have to read on a regular basis. That won't be, ha- why? Because the darkness is leaving and the light, as Proverbs would say, is shining unto the completed or perfect day. Now watch, verse, whoever says he's in the light, but he hates his brother, is backslidden. No, still in darkness. You can say what you want, but the way you talk on the internet and to other Christians or about other Christians, about politics and other, everything else, and racism and whatever it might be, just demonstrates light and darkness in your life. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And what I found out is not only do you not know you're in, I mean, not only are you in darkness, but you do not know it. You don't even know it. You're blind to that much of it, he says. So what kind of, listen, what kind of light does it produce in our lives? Go back to Ephesians 5. One time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk then that way. Walk as children of light. Walk in 4.17. Don't walk as the Gentiles. Walk in love, chapter 5, verse 1. Don't walk with the, in the darkness. Chapter 5, walk carefully. It's a, it's a big path because walking is what we do to demonstrate that we know Christ. So he says, here's what he says. Walk as children of light. Catch this phrase. For the fruit of light. What do you mean? Fruit of light. See that phrase? It means if you're in the light, there'll be fruit that's produced. And what kind of fruit will it be? Fruit of light. And what kind is that? Well, it's things that are good and right and true. So get this. Listen to this, please. If you have the light in you, it'll produce fruit. What kind of fruit? Action fruit? Yes. You will do good and right and just things. More than that, you will produce attitude or affection fruit. Because the next verse says, approving what is pleasing to the Lord. So you're not only going to do the right thing, listen, you're going to want to do it because the greatest aspiration and the greatest aim and the greatest passion you have in your life is pleasing Jesus, right? So it's not just tacking on more godly things. Oh, I got I to leave here. Pastor Walker said I got to prove I'm in the light. So I'm going to go home. Oh, I got to be nicer. I got to do that. No, it's doing it because the greatest ambition, it all flows out of and overflows out of this love for Jesus and wanting and desiring to please him above everything else, he says. And notice, keep going down the text and try to discern, take no part in unfruitful, look, works of darkness. Now, I would have thought this, fruit of light, fruit of darkness. No, no. Fruit of light, you know why? Because fruit is produced through someone. The tree, does, it's the roots and everything under the ground. That produces the fruit. It is, God produces fruit in us and through us. Works are accomplished by yourself. 
So the things that people do in darkness are because God's not working in them. He's not doing anything in their lives, and so they do works of darkness. But to have the spirit light in you, Galatians would put it this way, fruit of the spirit equals fruit of the light. Works of the flesh equals fruit of dark, works of darkness. Because you can't, you know why your kids don't do light? And why maybe some of God's people think that God's people are watching tonight? You know why you don't do light? Because you can't. You can't. All you can do is what you can do. And without God, it's only works of flesh or darkness. You can't produce that kind of fruit on your own. So here's what he says. Number one, Christians are lights called out of darkness. Flip the coin over and it's going to shock you a little bit because the very opposite of that is true. Christians are also lights called into the darkness. You say, how does that work? If I'm called out of the darkness, how can I be called into the darkness at the same time? Let me show you from the word. Take no part, verse 11, in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead what? Expose them. So even though you can't escape the darkness because we live in a world that's full of darkness, so I'm not like it. I'm out of it. I don't live that way anymore. It's changed because I'm a Christian. So when I'm in the darkness, what do I do? Well, I expose it. I'm like a flashlight. I may not be a beacon or a gigantic light, but I'm a flashlight and I keep shining my light into the darkness. So I'm, I go into the darkness and why does God call me into it? Why is he calling Melissa and Juan into the darkness of Columbia? Because two flashlights are going to try to shine in a huge place of darkness. That's why. And they're going to expose it, not only to lost people, but I believe in the context, it's amongst other Christians. He says, take no part, and the word is no fellowship. In other words, don't have fellowship and partnership with other Christians who say they're in the light, but live atrocities. I mean, horribly ugly sins. I mean, so much so that it says that, I think it is in verse 11, he says, in verse 12, it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. I mean, back, look at chapter 5 and verse 3. Sexual immorality is in them, impurity, covetousness. He says, listen, he has to tell them, these things shouldn't even be named among you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't even have anyone be talking about doing this kind of stuff. And, and then he says this, as is proper among saints. It, and the word is fit. It doesn't fit. You shouldn't have people who claim to be in the light in your church, and you're talking about whether they're sexually immoral, whether they're adultery, fornication, homosexual. That, should, that stuff shouldn't be named here, he says, because it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit light when you live in darkness light. It doesn't fit. It doesn't go together, he says. Back to Star Wars. My favorite guy is Luke Skywalker. I really thought of naming one of my sons Luke Skywalker. No, I didn't really. Darth Vader hates Luke Skywalker, and Luke Skywalker hates him crazy. You know why? Because one's a Sith and one's a Jet. One's in the dark, one is light. But you know what's the crazy thing about it is? They're in the same family. Darth Vader is his dad. Have you ever seen the show when he's dangling there with his arm half cut off and he tells him, Luke, I'm your father. And it blows his mind. You know why? You can't be my father. You're this and I'm this. We don't, we're not even close. It happens. It happens. And families, 
siblings, spouses. In churches, it happens. Sith and Jedi, but they, don't, they can't really exist together because we've been called out of darkness. And when we're called out of darkness, we go back into the darkness different than where we were before. And you know what we do? We expose it. And that's why from the pulpit and in our lives, here's what we do. How do we expose it? Because the word expose means reprove, convict, bring it to light, refute it. That's why we have to stand in the pulpit. And that's why you have to stand for truth. And we have to say, hey, this is going on in our culture, but it's not right. We don't believe in abortion. And I know it's a big deal right now with the Supreme Court justice, but we do not believe in murdering children. We don't believe that. We believe man and woman, that's marriage, and there is no other definition. We believe that God wants equality and, and black and white, that he doesn't, it's not by race, it's by grace. That's what we believe, or we say we do, but we better practice it, and we better do it because we're exposing it shouldn't happen in here if it's happening out there because we're revealing the true nature of it. And the crazy thing about it is, in our text, it says, don't be deceived by it. See, darkness is not only dangerous and destructive, but it's deceptive. And let me tell you this, a lot of our adults and a good number of our teenagers, they don't know the difference between the two. They don't. You know what? Star Wars, again. Chancellor Palpatine, the leader of the entire empire of people who claim to be in the light, the leader was a Sith Lord. How is that possible? How did he get in under all the Jedi's nose? He's leader of everyone who quote-unquote stood for right, and he was a guy who was totally immersed in darkness, and he was the president of the whole thing. How is it possible? You ever watch Lord of the Rings? You remember Gandalf goes to his mentor, who the one he looked up to, the number one guy, he was the white, he had white Saruman, remember him? But what he didn't know is when he found, he went to Saruman, was he going to get advice? That it was Saruman that was against him because he had followed Sauron, if I got it right. They're too close together. He turned. He wore, he wore white, white clothes, but he was as dark as you could possibly be. But Gandalf didn't even know it. See, that's how it works sometimes, isn't it? Because darkness is deceptive, and it's our job to expose it. And the last, I'll close with this. The two little words for gives us the two reasons why we have to expose it. You can't stay silent. You have to say stuff. You have to do stuff. As light, it's not just say, I'm going to shine my light and that's all. Be-. No, it is important to live and walk differently, and that is true. We have to say things and do things differently, he says. But light does this. Look at the little word for, verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. In other words, we don't talk that way. We don't talk about what the world's doing. In your home, if there's talk about the world's music and how awful, I mean, I mean and we sing it and we practice it and we watch their TV programs and we use their languages and the little key phrases they use, there are, there are some things that our world is about is so shameful, we shouldn't even speak of them. It shouldn't even be named among us, it says. But when anything is exposed, same word, by the light, it becomes visible. In other words, we have to talk through things. 
Tell our kids, this is why we don't say this. This is why we don't do this. This is why we don't watch this. This is why you don't listen to that. And this is why you can't have a phone. You know why? Because we believe that. Because it's important. You've got to be what God wants you to be. And then he says, second little word four, verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, and the debate amongst commentators is this a reference to Isaiah 60 in verse 1? Is this a comment, you know, reference to a, a psalm? Is this a re- reference to some verse we're not familiar with? Did he put parts of verses together? I think it's probably a quote from a hymn that they sang back in those times that put things together from Scripture. But here's what it says. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And if I'm right that this is talking to Christians, here's what it means. You know what you and I need every day? If we're going to be lights, we need more light. Every day we need more light. We need Jesus to keep shining on us. But you know what some of us need to hear tonight? Some of us in our family need to hear this. Wake up. You see what he says? Arise, Oh, sleeper, you have gone through the snooze four times spiritually. The alarm keeps blaring, and you just keep touching the button. And God says, you need to wake up as a dad. You need to wake up as a mom. You need to wake up because you know where your, your marriage is going down the hill of darkness. Your kids are going down paths they may never come back from, he says. Awake, get up, stop sleeping, stop being desensitized to the darkness that's trying to destroy you and your family and maybe even our church. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. More light, that's, I need more light from the Bible. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I need him to shine more on me, in me, through me. So let me close with 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 and 6. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, so what? So then, let us not sleep as do others, but let us keep awake and be sober. I hope tonight, as strong as I said things, that here's what at least did this, that you, wake, you might wake up. Stop sleeping in spiritually. That you might rise, shake off your desensitized lifestyle, and start asking God, let me be the light you want me to be so I can do what you want me to do. Let's pray. Father, help us. I know those are strong words tonight. But I'm afraid, Lord, that there are some, there's some darkness that needs to be exposed. I'm afraid tonight that some of God's people, perhaps, are asleep. I, I read that text, and I, my mind goes to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, just at Jesus' greatest hour of need. And he said, watch with me just an hour. And when he came back two times, three times, they were sleeping sleeping on Jesus. Father, may we never sleep on Jesus. The world needs us. They need us to shine for them. Before that can happen, you must shine on us. Please do so.
stir us, waken us, raise us from the dead, that we might be lights for you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.